0: Let me pray for us. Father, we are grateful. Uh, We're grateful to be your people even more than we're grateful to see a new year. The blessings of a new year would be nothing if we were not your people. They would not endure. They would be a vapor that would be but a moment. And as good as it would be, it would be a waste, it would be meaningless, it would be empty. And yet, because we know you, because you have made us your children, sons and daughters bought into your kingdom. We have life true life now and forever and so we thank you we praise you and as we come to your word we come wanting to hear your words we pray this in jesus name amen you can turn to psalm 119 psalm 119 in a pew bible that would be page 625 i'm actually preaching from the english standard version so it'd be slightly different than the pew bible translation but similar enough If you're using a pew Bible, 625 should get you there. So the question is, do you desire to live in God's ways? To walk in his truth, to live your life in a way that says, yes, your truth is really true. It is good. And I want to live in line with that. Uh, I'm not a mind reader, but if you're a Christian, the answer that you are giving is yes. And I know that because John 14:21 Jesus says whoever has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. So if someone loves Jesus they want to know his word and they want to keep it which is to say they want to walk in God's ways, right? They want to live that way. So so I'm not a mind reader, but if you're a Christian, I know that's true of you. I also know that even if you're a Christian and that is true of you that you do not do it perfectly. Um, it's not because I have video evidence of your entire life. It's because I read the Bible, and I also live my life, and I know what it's like, right? We, we have desires, and we do not always experience the fullness of that. In our experience, we find that our desires for God's word and to walk in God's ways wanes at times, just as much as at times it waxes, right? It grows, but it also at times shrinks, and we hate that, but it happens and, uh, and as we saw in James, in our scripture reading this morning, we want to be doers of God's word. That's basically another way of kind of saying what I'm saying right now, right? James commands us to be doers of the word because there are times where we struggle to be doers of the word. That's true. But, but James is also operating under the idea, this, this spirit-given word in the book of James. In other words, the spirit is telling us, if you're a Christian, you want to, to be a doer of the word. That's your desire, because you recognize this is, this is not only uh, true, but it is good. Those two things go together, and, and so we want to be doers of the word. And so as we begin a new year, it's good to assess our ultimate goals in life and to think about our path that we're on, and is it leading me towards those goals? So so in some ways we're saying, you know, hey, I want to be a doer of the word, right? But we need to assess that and remind ourselves, man, why do we want to do that? Why is that our goal? But then we also want to say, what steps do I take to... to to get there, right? It's one thing to say that's my goal. It's another thing to say, man, by by your grace, God, here's some things I want to see so I can grow in that. I can see that happening. So Psalm 119 verses 33 through 40 remind us of our goal to walk in the ways of God and his word, and it teaches us something about how we make progress in that, or or at least how we don't uh, slide away from that, if nothing else. Psalm 119, uh, just as a reminder, because I've talked a little bit about Psalm 119 before, but it's been uh, a year, so maybe it's good to remind you just a little bit about Psalm 119. I had to look at my notes to remind myself. Um, Psalm 119 has one grand theme. You probably already know what it is if you've uh, read through it at any point. It is the Bible. It is the Word of God. That is the theme of this poem It is one long poem about the word of God. Eight synonyms are used for the word of God and they are used over and over again. They're not, so it's not just like it's just mentioned eight times. We have eight words that are synonymous and they get used over and over and over again. Law, testimonies, precepts, statutes, ordinances, commands, rules, word. Uh, The word of God is referenced about 175 times in this psalm. Now it's a long psalm, but still 175 times is a lot in one poem because it's long, but it's one poem. It's one poem cohesive unit. Um, and, and, uh, and, and so it's, why do we have poetry about the Word of God? Well, and specifically about how we want to, the psalmist wants to live in line with God's Word. Well, what we have is we have beautiful words about the beautiful life that we're called to. I mean, think about it. Poetry is intended to communicate truth, but, but in a way that also stirs the affections in a unique way that maybe didactic writing doesn't always do. Although, I mean, that should get something to our emotions, too. But the point is, we have beautiful words about God's Word because it's a beautiful life that God's Word produces. We're being called to, to admire. In other words, not just know, but admire God's Word, right? To be captivated by it so that we would walk in it. It would affect, it would go from our, our, our thinking and our emotions to our volition and the way we live, so, um, but, but it's more than just talking about the Word of God. It, it is actually more than that. It's, um, we love the Word of God because we love God, right? I mean, you, perhaps you've heard some people talk about you can have this bibliolatry, you know, don't be a, you know, bibliolatry type person who worships the Bible. I suppose that's possible, right? I mean, I suppose you could take this book, not care about the God who it's telling you about, and just, like, physically bow down and think if you, like, do stuff, this book will magically make things happen. I guess that's possible. I've never met anyone that does that, though. Oftentimes when we're told that, what what people are saying is, don't be so following God's ways. You're too too much of a prude, right? And, And maybe we're just mean in the way we talk about it, and we might need to make some adjustments in that. But listen, if you don't love this book, you do not love God. That's not me. This book tells you that, right? I'm not making that up. It'd be unloving for me not to say that. Now, again, I understand that my desire does not always fully line up with that. But, but like we saw in John 14, 21, but that's where I want to be. I believe that to be true. Because this book tells me about God. And if I don't love this book, I don't want to know about God. Right? This book is where God has spoken. And so that's where we want to be. We want to hear from God. Uh, the word Lord appears 24 times. God only appears once. So you might be thinking, well, it doesn't talk about God very much. Uh, Well, but it does because the pronoun your, referring to God, so it's your word, right? That pronoun, that possessive pronoun, is used 211 times. So yes, this is a psalm about the beauty of God's word, but ultimately because God himself, he is beautiful. He is the one we want to know. That's why we love God's word. We want to walk in the way of his word. His word is, in fact, our greatest treasure on earth because it tells us about him, the one who is, in fact, our greatest treasure. John Phillips writes, the more we know the word of God, the more we will love God. The more we love God, the more we will love the word of God. It is a spiral stairway to glory. That's why we love the Bible. We love God, so we love his word. We go to his word, we see more about him, we love him. It is a spiral staircase to glory. Now, if if you're a Christian here, I believe I'm in some sense preaching to the choir. I think deep down you believe that, right? Again, now there are days where you don't feel that. I get it, but you believe it, right? And so we're going to look at one stanza, verses 33 through 40. We're going to look a little bit into the next stanza, but really mainly in verses 33 through 40. And we're going to see what it is to desire to walk in God's ways, to desire to walk according to the path of his commandment. So let me tell you a little bit about the structure of this section, and then, and then we'll jump into it. Uh, the structure of, of this stanza, verses 33 and following, each line begins with the Hebrew letter, and you see that word he, right, above in English, that's a transliteration of the Hebrew letter that each line in this stanza begins with. Okay, so the way Psalm 119 is laid out is it's an acrostic. Each stanza has eight lines in it, and each of those eight lines begins with one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 22 stanzas because there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So each one begins. So every line in stanza one begins with Aleph, basically R A, right? Uh, every every line in the second stanza begins with Bet. Or yours says Beth, but I think it's Bet. But still, the idea is this idea of, it's just an acrostic. So here we're down to the he, or he. Um, we have this alf- alphabet acrostic thing going on here. And uh, you'll notice that in these verses, every line except for verse 40 begins with what? Okay, I already told you that, that Hebrew letter. But what I mean is, like grammatically, what? It begins with a verb. And they're causative verbs, Right? The, the English maybe obscures it a little bit, but basically, they're, they're prayers, they're commands to God to cause something. You see that? Right? So we have these causative verbs beginning each one. So, uh, so we have things like, uh, teach me, give me understanding. That's what we see in the English. So, so it, really, what we're saying is, cause me to be taught, cause me to have understanding. That's, what, that's what's happening. Structurally the, reason that, structurally, the reason that's happening is because the, that type of Hebrew verb begins with this Hebrew letter. So that's one reason we're getting that. But in poetry, structure also communicates something. It's not just structure for the sake of structure. Structure communicates something. So what does this communicate? What does what is, what is this communicate? The medium is part of the message. What is the medium telling us here? It's telling us we are dependent on God if we're gonna walk in his ways right? Because basically every single line is saying, God, I want to walk in your way. Cause me to do it. God, I want to know your way. Teach me your way. God, I I know my heart is inclined to go other directions. Incline my heart. So the structure is pointing to some very important theological truth here, that we need God to work in us if we're going to walk in his way, if we're going to walk in his word. Give me the desire and empower my pursuit of that desire. So the basic outline then, verses 33 through 35 We have desiring to walk in the path of God's commands. There's a desire to walk in the path of God's commands. That is our ultimate goal that we're looking at here is desiring to walk in the path of God's commands. He looks at the word of God and then he looks up to God and he says, I want a life that lines up with that, God. I want a life that lines up with your word. Make me walk in your ways. And then verses 36 through 39, we have discerning roadblocks. The psalmist is discerning roadblocks. He looks at his life, So first he looks at the word of God, then he looks up to God. Now he's looking at his life and he sees where he falls short and then he looks up to God and he says, God, I've discerned these roadblocks. Help me. Don't let these roadblocks stymie my growth. Stop me from pursuing the the way that is in accord with your word. So let's look at the first section, verses 33 through 35. Desiring to walk in the path of God's word. Uh, What what does this desire look like? And so that's what we're gonna see. We're gonna see the psalmist telling us through his own experience what this desire looks like and what steps we would take to follow him in that desire, to see that desire grow, to to agree with him in prayer to God. God, this is my desire. So let's look at these steps down this pathway of God's word. The first is teach me. Look at verse 33. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes and I will keep it to the end. So he cries out to be taught. This is the first and this is the repeated step of the Christian heart that wants to walk in God's word, in his ways, is to say, God, teach me, teach me. Those who refuse to be taught, who think they know best, are either, as we kind of already said, they're either not Christians, or they are really going astray. And the Lord disciplines those he loves, and at some point he will discipline us. And that's good, by the way. Right? I mean, no one like, Hebrews tells you no one likes discipline. Your kids aren't like, yes, please, some more of that, right? But at the same time, you recognize that's what it is to be part of the family, that I have a father who loves me, and he will not let me go astray. He will come after me, right? So uh, a Christian who rejects this idea that they can dis- and thinks they can discern God's wise and good ways on their own simply by looking in themselves is a fool. Uh, one writer I put it well. I thought this was good. He says, he who is his own pupil has a fool for a master. That's a good proverb, right? Uh, Lay your pride down because if you think you're going to be your own instructor, you have a fool for a master. You need to be instructed by God. I need to be instructed by God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We have to come to the place where we say, God, you are the master. You are the headmaster of the school. You are, in fact, the source of all truth. And so I want to come to you and I want to hear from you. I want you to teach me. Teach me your ways. Teach me your word. So teach me what? Teach me, O oh Lord, the way of your statutes. Uh, the desire is to learn the way. That word way, it appears uh, again later on in the psalm. Uh, it's this picture of the course of one's life, the direction of one's life, my, my, my thinking, my desiring. In some ways, you could say my worldview, the way I look at the world, the direction I wanna go in. It's, it's uh, how I'm living my life, my way of thinking, my choices, my values, my goals, the decisions that I make. That is the way. And so he's saying, I, I want you to teach me your ways, according to your statutes, according to your word. I want my life, my thinking, my deciding, all those different things to line up with what you say. So, um, it's also helpful to point out, so he says, the way, uh, the way of your statutes. When we talk about wanting to go God's way, this is not some like mysterious, like, well, who can know? You know, there's no, we just gotta, the only way we're gonna find out is if we just empty our minds. Um, I mean, this is kind of like this higher life stuff, right? We'll just empty our minds. Um, This, uh, I'm trying to think there's another word for it too, but uh, Lectio Divinia, I'm trying to think there's like a more. But anyway, it's this idea of the spirituality that I get by by just kind of emptying my mind and going with my feelings. No, no, you find the way of God by his statutes, his word, right? He tells you his ways. He has told us the prescribed path of life. That's what statutes means. Um, So the, the ways of the Lord are a lifestyle that is characterized by alignment with God's word. That's what we mean when we say the ways of the Lord, the ways of his statutes, a life that is aligned with his ways, with his word. How to order my life according to his divine commands. That's what we're talking about. How do I order my life? How do I put it in line with what you say, God? Well, look at the goal. The desire is more than just knowledge here. Even though he starts out by saying, teach me, he wants more than just to be taught. And this is going to we're gonna keep building on this theme in just a second, but it's important to note it here. What is the goal? What does he say? And I will keep it, right? He doesn't say, just teach me so I can know it. I just wanna be smarter than everybody else around me. I wanna be able to win the Bible trivia contest, right? You do have to learn it. There's a desire to be taught, but why? So that I might keep it. I might keep to the path. I might maintain the course that God's word lays out in my daily life. The, the greatest danger is to not know or want to know what the Lord says. That is the greatest danger because that will lead surely to destruction. But you know, the second, and, and I, I guess we can say second, but I would say it's equally as dangerous, is to know God's word and not have any desire to keep it. Both of those are deadly. So there's, there is a danger here. So he wants to know it so he can keep it. That's the goal. For how long? Well, to the end. And that phrase has a double meaning. It means fully or to the fullest extent and duration. In other words, I want to go the distance. I want to to keep your word to the end. And I want to keep it fully. I want to keep all of it. So that's, that's part one. Part two is the word can also be translated as reward. And your, your Bible might even have a footnote that it can be translated that way. Maybe it doesn't. I think the NIV might. Um, but it has this idea of reward. And both those are connected. but really not two separate things, are they? God, I want to keep your word all the way to the end. What is the end? All the way until I'm with you, the reward. In your perfect presence, under your perfect rule forever, not even having to have the, the, the Bible mediate what your word is because you're there. So I want to keep it until I reach the joyful end that it is leading towards. So the first step is desire to be taught. Teach me. A humble prayer, God, teach me. Quick application. Um, It's important to to think, how will I persevere in walking with God if I stop being taught by God? In other words, if I think I've just graduated from the the school of Christian living, how am I going to make it? If I stop thinking I need to be taught, I will not make it, and neither will you. God gives us the desire to be in his word. He stirs us up to it because it's what we need. To change metaphors, if you cut yourself off from the vine, how will you continue to flourish and live, right? Second application I would point out is is what's your plan to hear him teach, to be in the word? Um, A desire with no plan and no discipline and no habit is just wishful thinking, isn't it? I mean, you've tried that with all sorts of, well, maybe you haven't. I'm sure, I'm sure none of you have, right? Where you made resolutions and then never kept them or something, right? It's never happened to anyone in here. With no plan, with no discipline, with no habit, it will be wishful thinking. So how am I gonna hear him teach? Um, you know, I, Part of that is is making a commitment. I'm gonna be, when God's people gather to hear the word preached, I'm gonna be there as much as I can. I mean, there may be things that get in the way occasionally, but that's not gonna be the norm. Um, I, I'm gonna be in your word as much as I can during the week, right? I want to hear from you, God. I want to be taught. A second step on this path is in verse 34, and it's encapsulated in the prayer, give me understanding. So give me understanding. This is similar to the first request, but it is one step further down the line because now it's, it's not merely I want to sit in class, it's I want to understand. I want to wrap my mind around what is being said. Right? I mean, I could, I could go sit in a class that I have no desire to learn anything about, uh, or maybe I don't have any capacity to learn what's going on. I'm sitting in some sort of you know, upper-level, I don't know, physics class or something. right? Um, but as Christians, we have the capacity to learn God's Word, and so we say, God, give me understanding. And because we have a spirit, that's why. It's not because I'm better than the people around me. It's because the Spirit of God who inspired the Word of God is inside the people of God. And so we say, give me understanding. It takes careful thought, careful study, careful reflection on the Word of God. So it's teach me that I might understand. That's the next step. I want to understand. God has spoken. We don't just shrug our shoulders and say, huh, that was great. We say, I want to understand what you said. That's what the Christian does. We want to stand, as, as I've heard Charlie say over and over again, we want to stand under what God says. That's what it means to understand. That's, that's a good illustration of that, right? Right? I want to stand under. In other words, when I'm saying I want to understand, I'm not saying, hey, listen, you teach, and, and I'll take what I think is good and wise for my station in life, God, and, uh, and we'll go from there. No, you're not the master, he is. So we stand under his word. That is what it means to understand, which, yes, that takes work because I've got to think about what he said and how does it apply, but I need to understand. I need to stand under it. So are there areas that you don't understand but um, are there areas you do understand you don't want to stand under what God says? The prayer is God, I want help me. I want to understand Your ways. And if you're a Christian, He delights in answering that prayer. By the way, I know that because it's written in the Bible, right? In other words, God told us to pray this, and so He wants to answer that. Now, why pray if God causes me to, uh, if, for God to cause me to understand? Because this is a causal verb. Why why pray that if we do have to use our minds? Um, well, number one. Like anything else, uh, we're dependent on God for every even physical thing we do. Every breath you take, you might take it for granted that that's just like going to happen. God gives that breath. Whether you're willing to acknowledge it or not, he gives that breath. He gives the ability to breathe it. He gives you the lungs to breathe it. All that is a gift from God. But we also find that we're dealing with spiritual realities here, and the spirit who inspired the word is the one we're dependent on to give understanding into the word too. 1 Corinthians 2.12, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. So how do we understand God's word in a way that, that God wants us to understand it? Not just the facts, but like a, yes, I want to wrap my mind around this and I want, I want to do this. It's by the spirit giving us that understanding. Now why does he pray this, similar to the first one, that I may keep your law, that I may keep your teaching and observe it with my whole heart. He desires to keep it, he affirms that, but he goes a step further. I want to affirm, I want to observe it with my whole heart. I don't want this divided heart stuff. I want to understand it so that my whole heart is united. I want you to break down the compartmentalizing that I've done in my heart so that I may have a united, one wholehearted love and understanding of what you say. That's where he's going. Wholehearted understanding of what God says. I don't want to keep one foot in my path, one foot in God's path. I want to be all the way on God's path. So do you understand God's word so that you can give wholehearted obedience to it? Right, we want to say, how can I grow in better understanding God's word? When you want to understand something, you usually make a plan for how you're going to grow in understanding it. Or at least if nothing else, maybe you pick up a book about it or something, right? Or if there's a person you want to understand better, you have to sit and talk with that person, right? Right? So my my point is we do want to understand. Our first step is pray because God's got to give you understanding. But I think implied in that is also, well, seek to understand as you pray. Well, the third step on the path is verse 35. And I, I would actually say this is the culmination of the other two. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Cause me to walk in the way of your commandments. That's what's being said here. The culmination of the other two. Learning, understanding leads to walking in it right? Cause me to walk in your paths. I want my, the course of my life to be in line with your path. These paths are old and well-worn paths. That's the word that's being used here. And listen, there's no, uh, there's no median you can walk down between God's way and the world's way. There's not kind of a median where you're like, well, I'll just kind of walk this way, and that way I'll keep my eye on both of these streets, and we'll be okay. It doesn't work that way. There's one path that is God's, and there are, there's a bunch of other paths. I think that's implied here, I want to be on your path. Why? Because there are other paths, but I don't want to be on those. I want to be on your path, on your way of living. So he prays that, make me walk in your ways. And we have a similar thing here. Why, why pray? I mean, he's got to do the walking. Why pray for this? Well, again, we're totally dependent on God. I think we find that God is the ultimate and decisive cause, but we also, because God is at work, we work. Philippians 2 12 through 13, this is probably familiar. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So you have a job to do, Christian, right? This is not work for, you don't earn your salvation, but work out what God's given you in salvation. You, that's, who does that? You do, right? But look at what the reason is. Well, you don't have it in front of you, but listen to what the reason is. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Same thing is happening here. This is why he prays this. We're dependent on God. God is the decisive cause, and we have responsibility, right? Well, now we approach the second part of verse 35 to the motivation, just kind of like we saw the goals in the earlier verses. We have a motivation here, and uh, this is a pretty uh, important thing to get here. Look at verse 35. What's his motivation? For I delight in it. I delight in your path. I love your path. I am elated with the path you have laid out, is what he's saying. The reason, the most God-honoring motive, is not simply duty. Do you have a duty to walk in God's word? You better believe it. He is the creator of the universe. He is the king of kings. Yeah, we have a responsibility, we have a duty, but we also have delight, and that's really what he's saying here. He has a delight to want to walk in God's word. I, and th- this is what we want, right? We, we want this to be our prayer. Uh, think, think about this real quick. So sometimes it's hard to reconcile this, but think about it like this. If, uh, if I, Let's say I love playing a musical instrument. I'm not very musical, but let's say I did. Let's just say I did, right? I love playing. And I want to be, and I, I'm in an orchestra, and I just love the orchestra. And, and we've been given a song to play, and I, I just there's something about the song. I just love it, right? It just deeply moves me. And I, I'm, I'm elated about this. Uh, do I have to practice I would assume so, right? I mean, athletes aren't like, well, you know, practice, who needs practice? Well, some of them are, but you know, they're not like, I don't need to practice, right? They do need to. The same thing with this. Is that duty or is it delight? It's both, right? And so we have the same thing when it comes to the Word of God. There is duty, yes, that's true, but what really motivates even the duty is delight. It is delightful duty. God is not honored if it's just duty and no delight, You've heard that that John Piper used that illustration before, right? With my wife, like if I come home and it's our anniversary and I brought her flowers and and she's like, like, "Oh, this is so wonderful, thank you." I'm like, "Well, it was just my duty, (laughs) right? I had to do it. I looked at the calendar, saw what day it was, had to do it." She's not honored by that, right? She's not, and and I have not done my duty. I really, actually, have not done my duty as a husband. I mean, flowers to the side. I'm not saying husbands have to bring flowers. That could be. Every marriage is different, but you get the picture, right? Okay, um, so we want to grow in this. Want, I want to grow in this. I want this to be my desire. God, I delight in your word. Lead me in your way. Cause me to walk in your way because I delight in that path. God forbid that we would live, leave here today and just say, wow, the psalmist loves God's word and God's way. God forbid that we would live here, leave here and just say that. My prayer for myself and for you is that we would leave here saying, God, I find delight in your commandments, which I love. Look down at verse 47 and 48. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I want that to be my prayer and your prayer as we leave today. I want to be like, kind of like how this idea of lifting up your hands. I mean, this idea of of kind of reverence and worship. But it made me think of maybe an illustration that maybe isn't intended there, but still I think is helpful. It's like a child reaching their hands up for something that they see and they want it. They delight in it. They just can't help but reach out for it. That's what I want in my life. That's what you should want in your life. We want to grow in that form of affection and there are obstacles as we seek to go this way there certainly are obstacles and so but yet if this is our desire we pray and we pray and we pray God give me this desire that's what the christian does so that's the positive side of it that is the positive side we're going to see in a second there are obstacles but that is the positive side of the desire that is the positive pursuit but now he he moves gears here, switches gears here to look at things that might stymie that desire, things that get in the way, roadblocks. So just as much as we desire to walk in the path of God's commandments, we must discern along with the psalmist the roadblocks on that path, to that path I should say. So he turns his desires, Uh, Spurgeon says this, it's kind of like he's praying and and then he's meditating on God's word deeply, he's thinking about it, he's writing all this poetry and, and he finds all of a sudden his heart is distracted by something. That's never happened to you, right? You've never been praying and found that you thought you were praying, but right now you're just thinking about all the things you have to do today. It's never happened to anyone in here, right? Okay, good. Um, it's happened to me. So, um, you know, you can probably relate to that. And so it's encouraging to see how realistic the Bible is, by the way. Um, it's very realistic, right? We see, we see the joys and struggles of God's people, It's it's not realistic I mean the modern way. We get all this like we want to be transparent and open and what we mean by that sometimes is like I'm just going to be me, you just back off. That's not what I mean. The Bible's real in that it paints a picture for what it looks like, but it's also like this is good, this is bad, right? And so we see there are roadblocks here and the psalmist discerns four, but I'm going to say five uh, because it could be both here. I'll I'll show you in a minute. You're going to get two for one deal. But uh, four to five different roadblocks. So the first roadblock that gets in the way of us fulfilling this desire going this direction is in verse 36 and I would I call this a disinclined heart a disinclined heart verse 36 incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain so the heart the, the seat of desire and inward the inward person loves ambitions volition that's what we mean when we say the heart this inner person I want you to incline my heart to you And heart actually can also mean all of me, and I think probably in this case we could even say that's probably what it's referring to, right? I want all of me, but especially my inner person, because that's going to direct the outer person. I want all of that inclined towards you. What does that imply the roadblock is? A disinclined heart. And specifically, uh, it's not really even just that it's disinclined away from God. To disincline away from God is actually to incline in a different direction, towards selfish gain is what he lays out here. The heart is never neutral, It is either inclined towards God or it will be inclined towards something or someone else. The heart is not neutral. It worships all the time. Selfish gain, the idea refers to gain or profit, specifically um, a profit or gain that is gotten apart from God's ways. Um, So, Broadly, it's just a focus on myself. Don't incline my heart to me anymore, God. Help me to incline it towards you. But even more specifically, the word here really does deal with and point to the idea of money and possessions. Because why? That's one of the ways we do get inward focused, isn't it? It's one of the main ways. In fact, Jesus said, you can't worship God and money in the Sermon on the Mount. But why pick on money? Because that's one of the biggest ways we show that we're actually worshiping ourselves rather than God. It's one of the things we mostly can trust in instead of trusting in God. We will either use our money to grow in our joy of the Lord or we will use our money to pursue something other than God, won't we? The point, though, that I'm trying to make, and I think is ultimately being made here, is my heart has a tendency to incline towards other things, not God. Even in the, as the Christian heart, the psalmist is saying, he's, the, the reason he's praying this is because he knows there's a temptation to be inclined in a different direction. So he, he's saying, incline my heart towards your testimonies. I'm prone to wander. So um, if, and why why does it hinder me? Think about it. I mean, if I'm not seeing God as the ultimate value in the universe, the one I I most want, I'm not going to really want to go his way, right? I'm going to want to go other ways. And and so we got to say, incline my heart to go your ways. If you find um, this is struggle, if you find struggle to desire God's word and his ways in your own life, in other words, there's a dullness, there's a a laziness when it comes to God's word. Listen, I I find that in my own heart. The psalmist finds it in his heart. This is one place to say, okay, is this my issue? Is this possibly the roadblock that is hindering me? Am I inclined towards selfish gain rather than the Lord? My heart tilting away. Listen, if you find that in your heart, if you find any of these in your heart, don't be crushed by that. I mean, you should be sad and sorry over that. Just like someone... Who's missing out on great joy, finds out about it, and they're sad about it, right? You should be sad about that, but don't be crushed. The psalmist is experiencing the same thing. What do you do? You say, God, incline my heart. Help me. That's what you do. You don't just fall into morbid introspection, right? You say, You recognize it's a problem. You confess it to God. You repent and ask for help, and you go, by God's grace, God's direction. Second roadblock, is a distracted set of eyes. Look at verse 37, a distracted set of eyes. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. If you take your eyes off the road for too long and you're driving, you're actually moving, things are not gonna go well, right? I remember as a kid riding a bike and getting distracted uh, and, and finding the mailbox to be very hard, right? Maybe that's happened to you. Probably, no. again, no one else in this room, no one can relate to that, but... Um, Here's, the, here's a roadblock of walking in God's uh, ways not, to walking in God's ways where my eyes get distracted. They, they get off my main desire, my main goal. Worthless things, things that lack true value, things that are disconnected from the glory of God. These things can either be things that outright do not glorify God. That certainly is a worthless thing. Worthless means the idea that it's like it's empty, because it has no weight because it's, it's not honoring to God. Things can directly be dishonoring to God. Right? It doesn't take too much time to think about different things that, that can uh, take my eyes, either literally or just the attention. I think it could be that too, right? Things that would take my attention, whether my physical eyes or just my attention, off of the things that glorify God. It can also be things that maybe they're just fine, they're neutral, but the context that I'm putting my eyes on them is not leading me to worship and glorify God. I mean, you have to fix your eyes on all sorts of stuff at work or at home with your kids or whatever it might be, right? The, the point here is not, well, the only thing, just, just read the Bible, like if I have to get my eyes off the Bible, like physically off the Bible. No, the, the point is, even in those things, I can fix my eyes on the Lord because they're, they're connected to God. I want to glorify you as I do this, right? I make shoes. I want to be the best shoemaker I can be for your glory. Help me to do it for your glory, not just make shoes. It, it is interesting that, that, that something like doing something, right, even like, uh, let's say, taking care of plants. Think about, in one sense, how meaningless that is. They're going to die, like, in the next freeze we have if you're like me and you don't take good care of them, Right? But at the same time, it's like deep down, we know there's something meaningful about taking care of plants, and why is that? The Christian worldview gives you the answer because everything that God has made and declared good is actually good. There's an eternal glory being built up as we rule and subdue the earth, as we do what God has made us to do. So it gives meaning. So the point is not, don't ever let me look at anything except for the Bible. The point is, everything I look at, God, I want to see it in a way that glorifies you. I don't want to see worthless things Right, the, the one farmer who doesn't do it to glorify God in one sense, it is worthless, it is meaningless. But for the Christian, it is full of meaning, full of value, full of worth. So there are many things that grab our attention. Attention is, uh, being grabbed is not necessarily a bad thing. Um, the point, is, he doesn't say, close my eyes, right? He wants his eyes directed towards God. So the point is not, God, help me never see anything around me. It's just, I wanna glorify you with what captivates me. You're familiar with the idea of opportunity cost, right? this kind of idea that, that if, I, if I invest something somewhere, it's taking it away from somewhere else, there's a cost to that. Even if I just let it sit in the bank account, there's a cost to that. That money could have been used over here or over there. Um, same thing with our attention. If I invest my attention in worthless things, it's not, it's not like kind of like, okay, just a little bit of a problem. It's, the problem is doubled. It's doubled, hasn't it? Because not only is this worthless, it has taken my attention from that which is truly worthy. You see what I'm saying? I've lost twice in that case. Think of how social media or your phone or entertainment can work against our desire to know God and work in his ways. There are people that they get paid a ton of money to figure out how to keep your eyes on worthless things. Now, I am not saying that your phone and social media are inherently evil. It's the thing like I said with the farmer and the plants and all that other stuff, Right? These things can be great tools used to the glory of God. Even, even at times yes to distract us in God honoring ways. Your brain is not made so that you can have 100% attention like fully all out all the time. Distraction is an okay thing. You might, there may be a good distraction in a hobby you have. But again if that becomes disconnected from God or it becomes an idol we got a problem. We have a worthless thing at that point. So We want to be be attentive to these things. We want to know what is captivating my attention and is it worthwhile? Am I connecting it to God or is it distracting me? Don't let my eyes be fixed on worthless things. Turn them towards your word. So if your desire is weak here, pay attention to that. See what is it that's luring my eyes away and then come up with a plan to deal with it, right? If it's your your phone, I mean, this is probably true for, again, maybe maybe no one in here, right? Your phone might be distracting you. Um, you're scrolling on all sorts of things instead of dealing with your annoying kids. I'm not, I've never experienced that, but maybe you have, right? You, you are, uh, instead of doing a hard thing at work, you would rather scroll through something for 30 minutes, right? Now again, I'm not saying distraction always bad. I'm not, I'm not saying there's not a place for that. But if, if I find that it's, it's become a worthless thing, what's my plan? Do I put it in a bucket when I get home so I'm not tempted to use it? I don't know. The Bible doesn't get, I mean, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not laying out a command here. I'm just saying the command is don't let my eyes look at worthless things. You figure out how to apply that, whatever the issue is for you, and pray for one another, and talk to someone who is close to you, your, your spouse or a good Christian friend, to help you figure that out. All right, next roadblock, doubting God's promises. Doubting God's promises. Um. Verse 38, confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. So confirm it, establish it, um, make your promises, what you have said, fulfilled in my life. Um, Spurgeon put the problem clearly when he says, times will arise when every doctrine and promise seems to be shaken and our minds get no rest. Then we must appeal to God for establishment in the faith. Uh, Doubt while it is not a virtue, because that again is something I think in our culture we're trying to pretend like is a virtue, it is not a virtue, but doubt is a reality. That's true. We don't have, we don't have to deny that it's a reality to say, to, you know, the, just because the culture thinks it's a virtue. We can say, no, it's not a virtue. Yes, it's a reality that we face. Doubts tend to come in times of trial and in times of temptation, right? Things that distract us, that cause us to doubt God's promises. And, and both trials and temptations do that difficulty and things that allure us. Do that. So we want the Lord to confirm his words to us so that we could fear him. How how does he confirm his word to us? Uh, Romans 8, I think, gives you a helpful thing here. Um, Two things, subjectively and objectively. Subjectively, in Romans 8, we see where he talks, he he talks about the spirit confirming something of the love of God in our hearts. That is one way that God subjectively confirms his promises to us. Yes, if, uh, you know, I belong to you, Objectively, in that same passage, it goes on it says, "Look, if God has given you everything you need in Christ Jesus, this is a paraphrase. Romans 8:32. He's given you everything you need. He has not withheld his best gift, His Son. Do you think he's going to withhold something you ultimately need at the end of things here? He's not stingy. He's shown you that, right? So there's an objective what I mean is, the objective thing for us is we look at the cross, we see what He's done for us in Jesus, and we then find His promises confirmed right? Even the ones we're still waiting to find fulfillment in. So this might be something you're facing. Are there promises you haven't given much thought to? Because that is a way that we can doubt if we don't give much thought to his promises. Um, So for example, Psalm 1 talks about, it's, uh, blessed is the man who delights in your word. I might not give much thought to that, and then I have doubts about, well, is God's word really the best way to order my life? Have I given thought to what God even promised? That could be the cause for my doubt. Or maybe I just doubt because I, I know the promise, but I doubt it. I doubt something about God's character. You can even think about the issue, like for example, seeking vengeance. If I seek vengeance, I'm doubting that God is actually just and good and in control and he will bring vengeance. Hopefully that person will be found in Christ and the vengeance was poured out on Christ. The justice was satisfied on Christ. But even if not, God is going to do what is just. So you see what I'm saying? That I can doubt that promise and then it affects my daily life, the path I'm walking, if I doubt that promise. Okay, the next one is a two-for-one deal. We're gonna have to wrap this up pretty quick here, but there's a two-for-one deal here. The disdain of others and the disgrace of sin. Turn away the reproach that I dread for your rules are good. This is a two-for-one deal because that word uh, reproach refers to, could refer to two different things. One is the idea of being taunted by others. The disdain of the world why are you going to live that way? That's so foolish, right? That type of disdain. And, and, and the, in the next section, you actually see him talking about the taunts of others if we kept reading the next few verses. Um, it also can refer to as the reproach that might come from others or even the just reproach of God if we go the way of sin. There's a disgrace about that if we go the way of sin. So the disdain of others and the disgrace of our sin can both be a roadblock to walking in God's path of God's word. Think about how, how and, and so here, if he's talking about being taunted by others, they, there are probably others within Israel who are not being faithful to the Torah, to the word of God, the, the teachings of God. And they may look and say, this is silly, why are you doing all this? That little booth over there, we don't know if God's in there. Why are you going to do all these sacrifices, right? We have people taunt us today too who claim to be Christians, don't we? Jesus would have been okay with all this, stuff, this gender confusion, this LGBT stuff, this um, crazy views on justice, whatever it might be. So if it's disdain from others, we need to be ready to stand in God's way. If it's disgrace from our sin, we need to fight sin, don't we? Fight temptation. And look at the reason he gives, for your rules are good. So it's not just God because your your rules are true, they are, but it's because they're good. What is true when we're talking about Morality is also good. That is, those things go hand in hand. Your rules are good. Look at verses 44 and 45. He says, I will keep your law continually forever and ever. Verse 45, and I shall walk in a wide place for I have sought your precepts. The way you have told me to order my life leads to a wide place. What does that mean? It means freedom. It means it's truly good. Uh, Think think about how this works. The, the, The world, you might think, well, the world, they're free. They're free. They're not free. They are enslaved to man-made rules and laws which have no real meaning or value, right? Or they're enslaved just to sin. There's no freedom in that. You're in bondage. No, your ways are good, God. Your way is the wide way. So when we're tempted to sin or to capitulate to the taunts of the world, we need to recognize those things might look good, but they are not good. My sin might look good, but it is not good. The taunts of the world might sound good, but they are empty. That's what we need to realize. Uh, real quick, let me just, a uh, word of application to young adults and to youth. I think all of us face this pressure, especially in our culture now, the taunts. I'm talking about the taunting side of things. Our Sin is for everybody all the time. Even being taunted is for everybody all the time. But, I mean, there is just a, uh, a push from all areas of life uh, to disdain God's ways. Right? There are a bunch of different paths. And it's not just, hey, well, you know, Christianity, that's one path, right? It's, oh, that's evil. That is an evil path you're on. We see it being pushed from culture, from celebrity culture, from entertainment in general, from the media, from psychology, from areas of the law. I'm not saying any of those areas of study are bad. I'm saying all these things are being weaponized against what God says is the right path. Our desire, uh, so what, what are we called to do? Not sit around and feel sorry for ourselves, not cry the sky is falling. We share the gospel with boldness, with courage, and in the face of all the taunts, we say God's way is good. It is true and it is good, and I will keep telling you because I love God and I love you. It is true and it is good. So young people, take that stand. Verse 42 it should be an encouragement to us all. Then, when, I, when I'm clinging to your word and believing what you say, then I, shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. So that's our hope. Look at verse 40, this is the conclusion. Summary of all we've seen. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. I long, I deeply long to order my life according to the direction you say, to what your word says. That's what I long for. In your righteousness, give me life. I want the good life that you lay out. It's not an easy life, but it is the good life and that's what I want, because you are righteous, and that's what you want for me. So I pray, I pray these prayers, and I long for your precepts. There are roadblocks along the way, yes, but I long for your precepts. That's what we want. So the call is, if, uh, if you don't have this desire, pray that God would give you life according to his word. Pray that. If you don't know if you're a Christian, or you know you're not a Christian, or you're a Christian and you're just struggling, pray that. Pray that God would give you life according to his word because he's righteous and he will answer that prayer. If you find that this resonates with you, but you're struggling with this desire, again, I encourage you, don't go into morbid introspection because, again, the psalmist struggled. That should give you encouragement, but don't be complacent. Spend time thinking, what is distracting my heart? Uh, One thing that I've thought about is, um, because sometimes I find my heart distracted, I will wake up and what distracts me is either something that I'm looking forward to on the agenda for the day or something I'm not looking forward to. So it's like, I want to get out of bed, but it's because I want to go do this thing that I'm excited about. Or it's, I just want to stay in bed because I don't want to go do this other thing. And in both ways, I, 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 when I look at this psalm, I'm like, that is I, when that happens, this is not my desire. And so, so what I want to start doing is praying before I go to bed or first thing in the morning, and maybe hard in the morning, if you had your coffee, I don't know, but praying, um, God, make it to where my greatest desire and delight is that I get to spend time with you. I get to hear you teach me. I get to understand your word. I get to walk in your ways. Make that, that's what I want, more so than all the distractions of all these other things. Again, I'm not saying you don't have those things, right? You do have those things. I'm just saying, that's my prayer. God, I want that. I want to desire what you say because I know it is good. So think about how you'll make time to meditate on God's word. Ask God for help. And um, yeah, let's make this our prayer. Let's make this our prayer for a new year. So let me close in prayer. God, you are good and you do what's good and your word is good. We desire to walk in your paths. Cause us to walk in the way of your commandments. In Jesus' name, amen.